Welcome to episode 96 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Brian Jackson. This episode, we hung out with Karim Sewer. We've been wanting to talk to him for quite a while, and we finally got him into our kitchen, I guess. I would, I would say studio, but it's a kitchen. It was great to finally catch up with Karim. Before we get into the conversation, though, we want to thank our sponsor for making this episode possible. This episode, our sponsor is Epicurrence. They're the best. It's it's an unbelievable event opportunity. It's not a conference. They specifically say it's not a conference, but God damn, it's so fun. So what is it? Epicurrence, the Montus. It's a two-day get-together with designers, developers, entrepreneurs at, in Lake Tahoe at North Star in California in March from the 6th through the 9th. That's a Monday and a Tuesday, hence Montus. Look at that. That, that wordplay, that Dan Petty next level wordplay. And it's going to be two full days of skiing, snowboarding, chatting about design, development, inspiration, collaboration, building relationships with some of the coolest folks in the industry. People are going to be there like Scott Belsky, Veronica Belmont, Katie Dill, Dan Mall, Mark Hemian, Jeff Tehan. Lots bunch. of people that we've had on the show. Yes. Lots of people we will be yes. having on the show. Very excited. Awesome folks. And you can go too. And the coolest thing about the Montus is you can actually invite your whole team. So if you get an invite, you can invite your whole team, treat it as a company getaway, a team retreat, uh, an offsite, anything like that. You can invite whoever you want. And yeah, you can just invite other people in the industry that you think should be there. That's totally cool too. So how does it work? Go to Montus.com. That's M-O-N-T-U-E-S.com. Apply to go. Mention design details. That's going to tell Dan that we sent you and... It just might make it more likely that you'll get in. Wink, wink. If you have any questions, you can also email dan at epicurrence.com. That's Dan with two N's. If you have any questions or if your company is interested in sponsoring. Again, the Epicurrence is uh, an event like nothing else. There's no design get-together non-conference like it. It's, we uh, were on the sponsor list at the last one and it was well worth it. It was worth it. You meet amazing people. The folks that go there are truly, truly the best in the industry. And we encourage every single one of you to apply. To do that, go to montus.com. Check it out. Thanks to Epicurrence for sponsoring the show. Hey, guys. My name is Karam. Um, I'm a product designer at a company called Operator, and I live in San Francisco. So what have you been working on? Uh, currently, I'm working on um, enterprise tools for uh, Operator. And um, in the past, I've been working on... on numerous projects for starting from like, I guess like graphic design to user experience design to UI design to product design now. Um, so does enterprise tools mean for enterprise clients or is that an internal thing? It is for now. I can say it's an internal tools. Mm -hmm. um, I actually don't know what to call it. It's um, This is the first time I'm doing this kind of uh, work <laughs> and it's uh, kind of out of my comfort zone, but I, I think it's internal tools. Well, operator is kind of unique in that there's not a lot of UI. It's a lot of text-based stuff. Wait, maybe True. you should pause. What What is operator for anyone who doesn't know? All right. Operator. Um, so our tagline used to be operator finds it for you, which actually explains exactly what we do. So Pretty accurate. So we um, think about a, a, a shopping assistant, um, which we don't like to actually use the term, but it's really easy to, to explain. Um, it's an online concierge service. So um, you ask for something and we find it for you. Um, there are experts. Um, we connect you to the best expert possible in that area. And then we send you products that you like. So specifically shopping? Specifically commerce yeah. right now. Yeah. Okay. Is it any vertical or is it mostly targeted around fashion, things like that? Um, we're pretty heavy on fashion right now, um, but we do have all verticals right now. You know, we go from electronics to um, motorcycle parts, vacation rentals, motorcycle parts. Yeah. Have you actually That's, asked for motorcycle parts? I did. Okay. I found them. All right. That's great. Perfect experience. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. It was like some weird, obscure screws and one of them is threaded the opposite way. So like finding that one was the hardest part. You can find the other one in any like hardware store, but finding a set of them where one is screwed reverse, which the mirrors are that way. So that way uh, they can't like blow off and like around and like come out. It's a weird decision, but it kind of makes sense. Sure. <laughs> nice. A motorcycle, motorcycle mirrors are weird. Somewhere motorcycle mirrors are weird. So operators out of your comfort zone. It is a little bit. Yeah. What do you mean? Um, it actually, so it's a weird story. So I, I used to be a pretty mission driven, mission statement driven guy. So I, I worked at a gaming company. And then after that gaming company, I kind of changed my mind about what I want to do with my skill set. 
um, and I wanted to do something good for, for humans. So I started at this company called Fitbit. And back then, it was um, the, the selling point for Fitbit for me was um, we track your steps. We motivate you to be healthier in life. So um, that resonated with me. So I, um, I joined the company. And from there on it, in my life, I wanted to use my skills for something that I believe in. Um, so that's one part why operator is kind of an interesting story for me because shopping has never been my thing. I'm not a shopper. Um, I'm really, really interested in the technology that we're using, we're building. Um, it's, um, I don't know, can I use F-words and yeah. all that stuff? The like, more the more. All right, I think it's <laughs> the, more the, the, the more the more The more the more. I was like, wait, can I redo that? And then you, you called it out. Thank you. Thank you. So I, I think we're building next level shit. And I'm not just saying that. It's just, for me, it's next level shit. Um, so I like it. It's interesting. It's very, very challenging. Um, learning a lot which is a very important thing for me at this level. So, There's been a lot of noise around like text-based UI lately. And it's, it's interesting because it's not a new technology. Not at We're all. going way backward. <laughs> right. Full circle. But it's just simpler. It is. And I think the, the core of that is, is human behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're changing. Um, we discovered, you know, tappable, really rich interfaces. And Linkable. Then, <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, you know, like we, we switched from that to um, it just kind of like email. You know, we, 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 I don't know, we found email where it's an amazing communication tool. Then we started overdoing it. We started abusing it. We and now, it. <laughs> now we're trying to reinvent email or whatever it is. And, and now it became like a to-do list of things. Like I use Google inbox. I, I checkmark everything. And so it's, it's kind of like that. I think we're, um, we're trying to to scale back and and see um, how we can connect humans to humans in a more personal level, not through just machines. So a lot of the competitors seem to be going for the machine end. They want AI as much as they can. Oh yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, I think there needs to be a balance between um, using artificial intelligence and using humans. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I don't think at this point, any artificial intelligence can duplicate a human experience. It seems like the difference between a curated experience and a scraper, right? Like people aggregate news stories. Right. You can either curate them by hand and you can definitely tell when that's happening. Right. Or it can be a raw scraper that just gets everything and half the time it's junk and ridiculous. Right. Or, or think about it this way. You can also describe why you're curating the content you're curating and mm-hmm. teach machines while you're curating that. So yeah. in the future, they can learn from you and they can curate that for you. So true so, artificial intelligence versus what we kind of have now. Right. And I think Facebook is sort of doing that with like a mixed, um, you know, uh, machine, they're using machine learning with artificial intelligence and mm-hmm. using humans and training. And and I think a lot of, we're going to see this pattern a lot. And and because it, it is, you know, if you want to scale a product, you need to you can't just have humans. You need to. It's easier to scale a server farm than a call center. Very true. So, as much as you can say it, I'm sure there's some secret sauce going on, but like, what are the biggest challenges of, of the things that you're working on as a designer? You think of operator with basically no UI, so you're kind of on the back end of that. Mm-hmm. What are some of the challenges? Let's see. There are a lot of challenges. Um, Anything new? Like, any new challenges compared to what you've been doing in the past? So I have a background on a lot of visual design, a lot of UI design. So I, I always described myself as a, as a user interface designer because I, I believe in that. I still am. Um, and now I'm, I'm trying to be more product driven, trying to be in the meetings to, to learn more of the product thinking and the strategies. Um, I think I'm, I'm, when I also said like when I'm out of my comfort zone, I think I mean that also. Um, like I don't want to be like a pretend product designer. Um, there are a lot of people, they just say like product designer because it's like really cool. Um, it's the new thing. So, um, so what does product designer mean then? Like what's the difference between a fake one and a real one? Okay, so th- I don't think there are any fake ones. I think people mean good <laughs> things by doing those things. But for example, see on, um, let's say in a job description, a product designer job description, mm-hmm. the first bullet point is really strong visual design skills. Mm-hmm. I personally don't think that you're looking for a product designer. And, and it's okay not to look for a product designer too. Like a lot of people I think are bundling product and design together because they saw the value of um, thinking about the product, thinking about the strategy and then being able to, to design it. Mm-hmm. And this is very valuable, but at the same time, it's just, it can't be really forced into people. And okay. it's, it's also okay to have a, a 
user interface designer on your team who don't have that skill, right? So I think companies are trying, you know, startups are pretty fast paced environments and you guys all know that. And, mm-hmm. and I think people are trying to take shortcuts and people are trying to um, find more efficient ways for them to move forward faster. See, I was thinking of product designer as like a UI UX generalist, not necessarily a super specialized UX designer, which I always laugh when I say UX designer now, but like some combination of the two like core skills. See, I might even build on top of that. I would, I would argue that a product designer is all of that, but they're also in the discussion deciding what the thing is that they're actually building. So it's not, it's not only the execution, but it's also the, the belief of like, this is why we should work on this particular feature or product. Right. Being able to see through, you know, from, and I'm not saying like see the feature of like what this is going to become, but, you know, being able to see through and think through um, what your building might become at some point and have mm-hmm. goals towards that, um, I think is very important. And also I think, underst- oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say understanding the impact on on the ecosystem of other features and products and Absolutely. downstream effects. Things like Absolutely. That. So I think, for example, let's say um, that's a pretty big challenge for me. I, I am trying to see through things, but at the same time, um, I think one of the things that I, I need to improve on myself is, um, I guess, like not thinking about the solution, not jumping to the solution right away and mm-hmm. and just like document about the, the I don't know, like the, the problem, document the possible solutions, iterate on the solutions. Like I, I in my mind, I like to fast forward. Um, and it's really never the, the answer. You really can't fast forward the process. It's so convenient, though. It really is. I just want to like <laughs> jump on Sketch and, and it just feel, design yeah, it. It feels so good. Yeah. But then you end up it's like, hey, with I, <laughs> I designed it in a day. How's yeah. that? They were good? <laughs> cool. And then anyone can poke holes in it and you're like, shit, I probably should have done that. Right, things. exactly. Yeah. Uh, that is a really interesting transition to make because you've spent years doing like really amazing UI design and then to to kind of switch switch up um, are there like resources you're going to or people you're talking to to help with that um yeah for sure so I I mean I try to read some articles some medium articles I uh, I also you know like the people I think that one of the reasons I I left freelancing was to join a company so I can I can learn from people um because I think that the best practices like I don't think I I learned shit at school um, because we weren't really doing it. We were just reading it. Um, but now I'm doing things and I'm, you know, when you're stepping out of your comfort zone, you, you, it feels uncomfortable, but you're learning unconsciously. So, so right now I'm, I'm learning from, um, you know, our head of design, Johnny is, if he's listening, Hey Johnny. So he's like really cool. And what's his last name? Jonathan Lieberman. Okay. So, you know, I'm learning from our seniors. I'm learning from junior designers. I'm learning from everyone. And it's, it's, it's really cool. How did you get into design? Speaking of school, let's backtrack. Yeah, so I actually went to school for design. Okay. Um, I started out as a computer science major. Um, so I spent a semester, and after a semester, I'm like, it's really not for me. My brain is about to explode. Was that here in the US? Uh, yes, it was in Missouri. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, there was this new major called interactive digital media, and it had three concentrations computer science, um, new media, and then. Um, visual imaging. And I, I concentrated on visual imaging and it was a, it was a new program. We were, it was kind of like a, we were the beta testers of the program, to be honest. Um, my, my academic advisor is like, Oh, we have a new major. Why don't you just try it out? I'm like, okay, sounds good. Um, <laughs> solid advice for yeah. you. Person. Yeah. So, um, so I joined, um, I liked it a lot. It was a really outdated, I think, uh, program. That's why I was saying I, I really never learned anything. Um, mm-hmm. it did cover, a lot of foundational design principles for me. Um, and that's, I think that's why I'm a, I can call myself a multidisciplinary des- designer. I, you know, started with prints, um, went to graphic design. Um, we did some 3D, uh, we did some, um, I had like a radio show. Uh, it was, was kind of like, I don't know, it, was, it covered a lot of things. And I think I started applying that actually successfully after my like fifth year in, in my uh, career, so. And by that point, were you in San Francisco? Yeah. So after Missouri, I um, I have my uncle and aunt living in East Bay, California. They just like invited me. I was planning to go back to, to Turkey um, or maybe like Europe, Italy or something, because I thought America is all like Missouri <laughs> and Oklahoma <laughs> oh and the best. I'm like, eh, this is cool, but I'm, I'm fine. I'll, I'll go back. Um, and then they invited me over. They're like, oh, I 
looks like what you do might be really, you know, this place can complement it. So I came here free lodging for two years, Ooh. you know, found a job, it was then just built on. Nice. And you've been here a decade now. I've been in San Francisco for seven years in the States for 16. Okay. So half my life. That's crazy. Yeah. Were you ever interested in design before you like went to college for it? I don't think so. Okay. Like I, I think I was interested in photography. Like I pictures from my childhood with like really cool old cameras. I always like have camera in my hand. Um, but yeah, nothing too um, artistic, nothing about design. You're pretty busy sailing. Yeah, true. Let's talk about that. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty unique thing. Yeah, right? so you I... You did competitive sailing, yeah? I did, yeah. Let's see, let's track back. I was about eight years old um, in Istanbul. My my parents kind of forced me into the sailing club, and, and we have some sailors in my family. Um, and like, maybe backtrack like to my like great, great, great uncle. He was like a pretty big sailor in Turkey. Um, and then they just basically um, assigned me to this sailing club thing i i hated it i cried every day i remember and then i failed and then the second semester i said i want to go back i want to do it again it was fun um i don't know why <laughs> so then i, I makes so much sense <laughs> i know it's it's like just kids you know unpredictable yeah so i um i joined the sailing club i must have done good they invited me over again they had like a b team and an a team and after the a team you become like a they give you a license they give you a boat like a little Dingy boat. They should give you a boat. Like, it, like here, a little dinghy boat. Have a boat. <laughs> it's, I'm talking about like five foot, like really small, um, like a race boat. Um, and then they give you that and you start really small, like local championships and, you know, little races and stuff. So I started with that. By the time I was 12, I think I was um, in the national team, in the sailing mm-hmm. team. Um, and then I raced basically every like port city of, of Europe um, with the national team. Um, that's a lot of port cities, a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> that's insane. So I, I never realized like the, the value of that. Cause I was super little, like I, I don't know for the first time I flew without my parents, I was like 11. Um, so like that stuff is really cool, but I, I never thought it was cool. You grew up really young. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, anyway, so I grew up until like 19 years old. I sailed pretty competitively did like, um, let's see, I've been into European championships, couple world championships. We won 2001 world championship and that's it. And then I, I came to the, the U S damn. What's, wow. what's the career path like for a professional sailor like that? Like, could you have kept doing it for years and years? So a lot of my friends are still doing it. Okay. The ones that were really competitive. Um, I, um, in the last Olympics, I was, they're like, and they'll, at the Olympics, they're like texting and tweeting. And I'm like, hey, hey, guys. Oh, so it's it's kind of, on that note, it's kind of sad. I think I could have been there. Um, but at the same time, I don't think back then Turkey had enough structure for to support like a sailor. Um, plus, like sailing is a pretty expensive sport. You basically have to choose between school or sailing. A lot of, like some of my friends actually chose sailing. And, and now they're making their living, but you need to be really successful. You need to be able to go to world championships and, and be in the top 10 so you can find sponsors. So they, they find value to put their brands on your boat. So it's, it's tough. Why did you decide to choose school? I think, to be honest, I think my parents kind of decided on it. So they, they basically assigned me to this like exchange program. Um, that's how I came to the States. Um, so it's called the Rotary Exchange Program, if you guys know. So you basically post a student from overseas and then you you're, you send your son to overseas. Um, so I I picked like three countries. I picked Argentina, Australia, and the States. Um, Argentina, Australia, because sailing is really good there. Um, so deep down, I was like <laughs> still going for it. Um, so I got the US, but then you de- you can't pick where you go in the US. So so they send you to wherever. Oh, man. So That's I went, how you end up in Missouri. That is luck no, of the draw. No. Oh. Sulphur, Oklahoma. Sulfur? I, yes. Like sulfur and brimstone? Mm-hmm. And there's a sulfur lake. And you, do you guys know how sulfur smells? Yes. yes. Yeah. Hot so springs. You, yep. So you showed up in the, the United States unimpressed. Totally. It Not smelled like hell. It was, <laughs> let me put it this way. It was interesting. I, I liked it a lot. Okay. Um, but in, like in my mind, I'm expecting like, I don't know, like blondes from Baywatch, like running towards like, running towards me in slow-mo and like skyscrapers and like i don't know that's what we 
we're so watching about 80s the states. TV. All right, got <laughs> right? that. Yeah. So um, yeah. So that wasn't that. <laughs> there was a lot of like cows running towards me in slow mo. <laughs> um, <laughs> opposite. But, but the yeah. red bikinis. I mean, they all wear those. True. Yeah. All the time. Obviously. Naturally. Um, but yeah, it was fun. It was very interesting. So you were 19 at the time. I was. Yeah. I was like 18. I think. At that point, were you pretty much used to traveling on your own? Yeah, your own footing, or was that a scary thing? No, I think it was. It was pretty okay, but I think I did start. I did start getting homesick after my like second month because that's like two months was the the longest time I've been away from my parents. So it was. It was. It was pretty tough. But at the same time, you know, you have a host family that were like treating me super well, like their son, and and it was great. Like I still talk to them, and yeah. And then, so at some point, you ended up going to Missouri, right? School, right? So after high school, I started applying for universities. Yeah. And, and partially it's because in the Turkish education system, you need to take two tests for college. And it's for do those tests, you need to like really prepare for them for, for years. Um, a lot of students actually prepare for, I don't know, I think three years and they go like after school courses and stuff. And I was a horrible student. Um, they so, do some of that here with like the ACT and the SAT. Yeah. Some people take it really seriously and yeah. do it like a couple of years, but I could say apparently. Hmm. Yeah. So I wasn't a good student. I, um, I said, maybe I can apply to an American college and, and I got Missouri state. And was, oh, I see. So that was like an optional thing to go back to, right, to right. Istanbul. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got yeah. it. So I, I think I took like six months break between high school and college. I kind of didn't want to go to college. Like my, my dad kind of forced me into it, but I don't know why. Yeah. It turned out good. So then I'm curious, you mentioned you didn't feel like you learned a whole lot in school, maybe right. basics but you ended up being a designer at Iwin yeah. shortly after. So how did that happen? Um, that happened. So I sent about 50 resumes in like a week. And I like literally one of 50 was Iwin and, and they just got back to me. And I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, let's do it. So just whatever you could take at that point. Yeah. So, I mean, you're a student and mm-hmm. I didn't have much in my portfolio. Um, so Yeah, what do you put on a resume at that point? Just school projects okay. in general. And they're like super horrible. Like we had this like 3D <laughs> class. Um, you have to draw a cheetah. Um, and I, I draw this cheetah. It was like so horrible. Like the tail was like a stick. Like literally it didn't like bend anything. Isn't that like, how cheetahs are? Yeah, pretty much. That's what I thought of Marvel. So brain. photorealistic. Yeah. Got yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Pretty much. <laughs> well, it was horrible. Yeah. So what was the title at IWIN? Did you um, the title was, I think like a, a junior designer. Okay. Oh no. I'm um, sorry. Graphic production artist. Yes. Oh. Those are amazing. That sounds fancy. I was I was designing like download now buttons. Oh no. How glossy were they? That was pretty glossy. All right. Like <laughs> multiple layer glossy. Perfect. Yeah. So for reference, what year is this? Let's see. This is like 2006. Okay. That makes sense for the time. Yeah. And you ended up staying for four years. Yeah. So, okay. That's like a weird story too. So like I'm an immigrant, obviously, like I'm from Turkey. So like the, the system here is like, you need to get a visa. Someone needs to sponsor you. Um, and I went at the end, they're like, at the end of like the first year when my like visa is over, they need to sponsor me. I, I went to them. I'm like, hey, dude, you, you guys need to sponsor me. They're like, for what? I'm like, uh, I'm a foreigner. Like I, I can't <laughs> stay here in the States. And they're like, oh, really? Okay, cool. They just like didn't care. Um, and I got really lucky because only like 30% of all the applicants could get in. It's gotten even lower now, right? Really? Yeah. I, I wasn't following. Uh, Roxanne just went for an H-1B visa and I think it was like 65% don't get in. Yeah. Wow. Something like that. It's, it's tough. Yeah. yeah it's, it's pretty tough. Um, I got lucky and um, got my sponsorship. It worked out. So that's so, kind of why. Right. It was okay. kind of like a forceful, like, I think it's like an etiquette. Like if a company is sponsoring you, you're like, I don't know. They're spending a, a good amount of money and I just didn't want to leave. Um, but at some point it just became just too much. Like I didn't like to, I hope they're not listening. I didn't like the people I worked with. Um, it was just like, I didn't like gaming. I don't even play games. Like the, at least the games that we were like into there. Was it like um, mobile games or? No, it was like, um, what they called like casual games. Like I guess solid. in 2006, it wasn't really mobile games. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, think about like Mahjong Quest and Solitaire and stuff like that. All right. So like desktop video games. Yeah, yeah, desktop video Was it Flash stuff? All in Flash, yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. It was like basically same mechanism. I was playing just... Flash games then. Really? <laughs> there was like mousebreaker.com. I was like about something. to graduate from <laughs> high school. 
and nice. you're playing his games. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's possible. Not my games. <laughs> so at some point you had this transition where you said, I want to work for a mission driven company. Right. What was that buildup like? Like, how did you reach that conclusion that this was what you wanted to do with your? Oh man, career? is that later in the story, or is that the next step? It's kind of like the next step, I can say. I mean, I worked so I worked with like really cool. Like, my design team was really cool. Like, I, I really liked the design designers I worked with. And then our management changed, um, and I got this manager who was trying to like extremely controlly and like just didn't like me. I think they wanted to like get like a fresh people in the company or something. And, and I went through this like really weird, like performance review, but you know, it's necessary for companies. So like I, I respect, so I got like really bad reviews and it was like really unfair. I'm like, this is just bullshit. Like I just don't like it. I remember I actually went to the bathroom and I cried and then I literally left the bathroom and went to my manager and I said, I quit. I'm done. So, and then I had to find a job. <laughs> so that, that job was Fitbit. Shit. Have you ever done performance reviews since then? Yeah, all the time. I just went through a performance review. Same here. How'd you do? Fail. I've only ever had one bad performance review. Okay. And that one was, so my job, again, this goes back to quantifying design. Uh, my job, it was a large print company in Minnesota. And they decided they couldn't quantify having a UX designer on staff, which was my title at the time. UX and brand architect. Wow. Yeah. Ridiculous first How titles. Architect a brand. That's very interesting. He I did it. I, I used like two fonts of Gotham or like two weights of Gotham and like put them yes. next to each other and it was a logo. And <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> that's how you launch something. Um, they tried to make me an analyst instead. And my first performance review of that, I'm like, I'm bad at this job. I just want you to know, like, I'm really bad at this. This is not my thing. I'm really bad at this. And they're like, okay, we're going to send you to training in San Francisco. And that's how I met Jeff Broderick and got hired out here. No way. <laughs> that's awesome. It was like immediately after that. Yeah. Jeff is awesome too. It's out in North Carolina now. Yeah. This guy. He's a family man. Is he? About to be, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I just made it up. His fiance ah. got a job at a hospital out there. Oh, so. All right. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I don't know. I feel, uh, my, so this was my first one that just submitted it. Um, I think that's okay. You've never had a performance review before? No, so that's the thing. I've never had one. And You're I, from Buffer. I, that's why. I was at a startup before and never had any of that like quantifiable accountability. I don't know if that's the right way to put it. Right. Uh, but I think in the back of my mind, I kind of wanted it. Like I wanted to know To more, see the result. Like get more feedback and right. like have that kind of... Uh, anonymous or not peer sort of like support and, and guidance. Uh, so now I'm going through it and it's kind of scary and you feel very weird about being measured and right. counted. But uh, I think that's a good articulation, like being measured. Yeah. Like I, in general, I just don't like that feeling. Yeah, I understand weird. it. Um, and I think like there are really good things about it. Like, like you said, feedback is really important for mm -hmm. designers. Yes. Um, Especially measurable. Right. Like, <laughs> but it also is a downside, right? Like yeah. one to 10, how good am I? Well, like there, there's, and obviously. <laughs> there's obviously some things where like you can actually get a quantifiable piece of data that's useful. I mean, that's how we get statistics and use that to make product decisions, mm -hmm. right? So Very true. Mm -hmm. Well, anytime there's a hard discussion about the design community, design industry, like being a designer, I think those are interesting because a lot of times we shy away from them. Right. Um, diversity is a big one, of course. Oh man, yeah. People, um, people are leaning into that a little more now, but yeah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I'm actually, I'm going through that. I'm, I'm interested kind of oh, to talk to... about it. Yeah. Okay. What so, I'm, so the, the thought is, what does going through it mean? I'm going through it because you're in this phase where you're Turkish. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm like, I'm about to be an American. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm learning about it, I guess. Cause okay. I, I didn't grow up in the States. Mm -hmm. I don't know enough about race segmentation. Um, I don't know enough about the history of, of all these things. Um, so I'm trying to look at it with a fresh view, but I, I'm finding out you really can't look at it from with a fresh view because there's a lot of history. Mm -hmm. um, and in companies, there are a lot of this talk about diversity and sexism. And, and I have a lot of friends actually have experiences about this stuff. And I'm, I'm kind of, my eyes are getting open. I, I think okay. um, I, I talked to um, female designers just today. We were chatting about this stuff. Um, it's, you know, sometimes you, you just, you're not like the, 
the the focus of the problem. So mm-hmm. you just don't know the problem. Um, I, I feel like I'm always that guy. Like I feel like the, the world is a pink fluffy dream and everyone is good. But sometimes <laughs> it's not. And people are actually going through really difficult things. And okay. I just have never experienced it. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, so I... I think people should be more open in, in general. People should write about it more. People should listen more. And and I think the, the solution is acceptance. Um, it's really easy to say, but we just need to accept each other. Um, and even if a person is, is saying bad, inappropriate things, you still need to not make it a negative ripple. You still need to somehow turn that into a positivity. Um, and it's not that easy for everyone. And I know these are like some blanket statements, um, but yeah, I think all I can say is I, I'm I'm trying to learn. I think everyone should learn more. It's an interesting spot to be in as well. I think a lot of eyes are on young white male techies, and many of them want to help the problem but don't know how. Say so kind of what you're saying. You're like looking in on this problem, and it's caused by Just by this group. To your mates. We don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. I had an interesting experience last night actually. Uh, we're talking about uh, gender diversity in tech. It's like, you know, at most big tech companies, you look at the engineering staff and it's like 90% male, but the company somehow is 50% female or something. So obviously all the females are in the non-engineering roles. Uh, and, and the person I was talking with was like, well, yeah, but if you think about it, like 95% of engineers that apply are probably male. I'm like, yeah, but that's Correct. the problem. That's the problem, right? Like, uh, that you can't just say that and be like, yeah, of course that makes sense. It's like, it's a problem that this huge pool of applicants is all males. Um, that people don't want, or that specifically women aren't encouraged to want these roles. Exactly. Right. And it just like leads down this, you know, timeline of why aren't women applying for these roles? They weren't encouraged at this age or other. They weren't encouraged to study these things in school. And then it goes all the way back to like when we're kids and, and then the when toys they, we play with and the colors exactly. and all this shit, right? And when they applied, they're not expected, so they're automatically undervalued. Right. Right. And it's, it's yeah, I mean, we're designers, man. We're Our first job is to empathize with yeah. what we're doing and we need to question things and you need to ask why and how. And um, if you can't ask that and just close your eyes and say there are no problems, it's because, you know, engineers are 95% in this company because only they apply then you're just not asking why they're only they're applying. Right. Um, yeah, I think Ellison House at some point gave me, um, when we met once, um, she gave me an example. If you're in a household and you have a sister and you're the brother and a remote control breaks, that goes directly to the boy to say, go fix it. And they never go to the girl because they expect her to do other things, um, other girly things. Um, so I, I never even thought about this. And I have a sister um, and she's not girly at all. She's like, a, she was a tomboy, I think, um, when she was little. Um, but yeah, like now it kind of, kind of clicks. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's a really, really long and deep, deep topic. I am actively like reading books about this stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. Or actually like I ordered books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Taking the first step. Pushing the purchase button. Yeah. Yeah. I I think if anything, like it's being discussed more and more. Yeah. I feel like it really hit the design community mainstream last year. It seems like uh, people being really vocal about it. True. We kind of got off on a tangent when we're talking about the end of Fitbit. Right. uh, Sorry. The end of I win. Yeah. Like just up and left. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Great memory. So yeah, I just left and I. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Completely out of the blue. Completely yeah. un... <laughs> Dropped the mic. Like, Fuck this. Out. Um, so what'd you do next? I, um, then I just, I think I was, I applied to two companies. I don't remember the other one, but I, one of them was Fitbit. Um, and Jawbone. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. Um, but yeah, so then, then my, um, the Mark Bolt, my art director then, um, he hired me. He took kind of a chance because I still didn't have a lot of good stuff in my portfolio, at least nothing that made sense for for Fitbit. So it was a really small company, um, really intelligent people. Yeah, so I worked there for about two years-ish. I was one of the first design hires. I think I was the second design hire. Um, it was a really small team, grew up really, really fast, and we got a lot of really good traction, really good experiences, good times. Back then, like Mark invited me to dribble 
And he's like, hey, dude, there's this like cool community. We should just try it out. And back then, people were actually posting their like process things. Like they're actually like, <laughs> the good old days. Like, they were doing useful things. Yeah, like like you post something and like someone would come in and like like comment. Critique and I was it. like, wow, I never tried that. That's actually a really cool idea. And you would like great colors, them. bro. <laughs> yeah. So, you demand. <laughs> so we did that. And and I think like I got kind of associated with with Fitbit, like as like a Fitbit's designer, this, the guy who designs Fitbit or whatever. Because I was just like, posting like stuff that I'm working on. It's like fun and like not kind of like not usual back then. Uh, back then isn't like 100 years ago. Um, back in the 1800s. <laughs> um, so yeah, I got some traction um, on, I think I started getting emails from different like freelance clients and I just, that switched my mind. I'm like, oh, maybe I can do this freelancing thing. And the the whole idea was actually I wanted to go learn more. I wanted to go back to school. I wanted to do a little freelancing and I wanted to start a company. I had no idea how to do starting a company. I still don't know. Um, Why did you want to start a company specifically? Was there, did you know what kind of company or just generally want to start a company? I think back then what I'm, what I thought starting a company was like a side project, Mm -hmm. like a a little project that I can call my company. Um, But now I'm learning running a company is actually a really difficult thing. Yeah. It's, it's not like a, a thing you do on your free time. It's, it's, it's a full-time thing. So you haven't checked that one off your list quite yet. No, 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 I didn't. And um, Start the cooking company. Maybe. <laughs> Thinking about it. You can steal this idea. The it's on the company. table. Okay, so my wife <laughs> bakes this like amazing granola. Okay. And it's like out on of board. this world. Okay. And what would a designer husband do in a situation like that, I branded it. Yes, right away. Out of this world granola. I would, I no. would, I would eat it. It's called this That's is granola. Situation. This is granola. Yeah, I know. It's kind of weak. I like, <laughs> I like how honest you are about it. Yeah, it's like all like hell. This is granola. Oh, yeah. I was gonna say, is the type set and like really? It's geometric. super modern. Yeah, like modern, clean, insanely clean. modern. So I branded it. I'm going off off topic. Sorry. That's Perfect. totally fine. <laughs> um, Branded it, um, ordered some packages from China and um, got like the packaging design. And now she's not cooking it. She's not baking it. Um, what? Yeah, I know. <laughs> we actually went pretty professional on it too. Like we created this Google sheet and um, she was trying different ingredients. Once you make a spreadsheet, you're like. <laughs> I'm like, once you make it, you're like a corporation. <laughs> so, um, so I'm like critiquing it and we're like testing it in the companies that I worked at. Um, and people just are like, loving it and i'm like we got to do something how much fruit was in it um no fruit perfect granola the fruit is an abomination i do not believe in fruit (laughs) and granola it should have peanuts that is the extent that is close to fruit as it should get it's a legume that's it what about a coconut is that a fruit that's a fruit yeah so we had some coconut sorry um so anyway i wanted to do this like subscription-based um granola for startups because Yes, healthy eating is becoming a thing of course. in startups. So I wanted to, I want to still do it. Uh, and as if you, if I can find some time, I'll, I'll tackle that. It'd be really fun to like order it and then be like, "What is this? Where is this from? Is it granola?" No, no, no I what get is that, it? but what? <laughs> no, that's, that's exactly <laughs> the point. It's like a viral marketing right there. Who's on first? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know where I was going with this. Um, uh, well, because you said you want to start a company, your three things yeah. you want to do: go back to school, freelance. Exactly. So I didn't go back to school. I didn't start a company. Uh, I did freelance though. Um, so future granola mogul Karim Sewer. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, granola designer. So you faced three roads, and you chose the freelancing path, right, right down the middle. Yeah, huge mistake. Client work is the worst. Huge mistake. <laughs> um, so. And and also like I I thought freelancing was gonna be really fun and like like vacation time I'll just like go to Thailand and like some design there and like make a lot of money and travel the world it can be that way it's it's just a lot of work on the in the background that people don't talk about um, so I actually blogged about this at some point not sure if I had the blog still but um, yeah so I freelanced for two years I uh, worked with really small startups some really big startups. But it was it was a lot of good learning experience. It was a lot of alone time. Um, I had this thing when I was working with clients. I didn't want to go on site, and that was kind of like a turnoff for a lot of them. Really. Um, so 
interesting stuff. So I put like this weird thing in my contract. I have a chocolate lab. I said, if I'm going to come on site, your, your office needs to be um, dog friendly. So a lot of them were not dog friendly. A lot of them were like, oh, cool. Yeah, sure. Why don't you come? So the ones that I was going on site was like, I would go with my dog. Um, and I was kind of chill. But yeah, other than that, like I had like really weird hours for, for working. Like I would work literally like 10 p.m. to like 8 a.m. And then that's my favorite time to work, like sleep until like noon or something and then like go out, do my thing. And it's just like I really enjoyed life better because like people bitch about San Francisco weather. Actually, guys, weather is really nice during the day when you're in the office. It's like really warm outside. There's like the wind is not really picking up. It's like after 3 p.m., shit goes down, fog comes in. It's really good. So my favorite is like the after hours part. It's so nice. Yeah. Ah, on Super a motorcycle. Mm. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Were you married at the time you were working those hours? Yeah. So my, my wife is a night shift nurse. So um, oh, it kind of gotcha. worked out. We were like working at the same time. Wow. And she would come home and like, yeah, sleep. So you so did it for two good. years. Yep. Um, and after that, I um, kind of panicked a little bit. I spent a little too much time with myself. Um, I, think. <laughs> <laughs> I um, saw what was inside my head. Yeah. I got scared. <laughs> I mean, I got like antisocial, like literally straight up antisocial. I would like, it, there would be days that I didn't speak a word with like a human being. Was like, that when you started dribbling, like how you store files? Yes. Okay. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> That's a very like, introspective thing. It's a very like, famous dribble shot too. <laughs> Lots of people know it. Nice. Link in the show notes. Good to know. Do you still organize your files that way? Yeah. Really? It has changed a little bit with the sketch. As you say, does that still end in PSD? It's not. No, I don't use Photoshop for, um, for designing interfaces. Um, but with Sketch, it kind of changed because now I have artboards, but within the artboards, I use the same system uh, for my personal projects. Yeah. At work, we have like a, a little different convention that works for our entire team. But yeah, it's uh, now I don't basically have like iterations of different, f- the same file, mm-hmm. different files, but I just have the same iterations within like pages and artboards. We were talking about this. We brought it up when we discussed how... how I listened we- to that. Did you? Yeah. What did you think? Did that? It's literally in my to-do list to do another shot of dribble. Yes. On like how I organize my sketch files. I really believe in organization. I think it's mm-hmm. a, it's a cool thing. Like I think people should be naming their layers. That's a thing. Yep. Someone guys, today. Rectangle three hundred and twelve isn't going to cut it. Tell me, <laughs> tell me if you guys buy this. Someone today asked what refactoring means. And factoring again. Uh. Going back through the factoring process. Uh, and my parallel was, if you're working in Sketch and you need to get a mock-up to someone now, you do it really fucking fast and you don't name anything and you don't have any folders or groups or anything like that. Refactoring is the process of naming and grouping and structuring your Sketch file. Yeah. That's pretty good. Same as coding, right? If you're coding it and you need it done fast, you just do it till it works. Refactoring is making it coherent. I do structure my files afterwards too. Like I don't, I name them pretty correctly because I find them really like it speeds up my process, but um, I do structure them a little differently for engineers to understand a little better. Oh, interesting. Because like I know exactly, like if it's a web app, I know exactly how they're going to build it um, most of the time. Um, So I structure them in a way like certain sections would be in, in different folders, which like it wouldn't even make sense for when you're just designing it. But it makes sense for engineers, and I think it helps them. What's an example? I don't know if I follow. Um, so, for example, you're building a, a three-column grid interface. Um, I structure them so that it's the left column, center column, and the right column, instead of like not making them into folders. Okay. Um, so then within that, I name each section the exact way I want that class name to be in CSS. So, so we're like really coherent with the with the developers. Um, so in the future that helps because the naming convention, like it's, it's not really important. Like what the fuck your naming convention as a designer, right? Like it's, it's a painting, like if it's not coded. Um, so you need to like be coherent within the organization. So kind of helps. Cool. We'll look forward to the next dribble shot. Cool. But we keep derailing you because you're talking about something so deep. Hey man, that's the one thing we're good at. I know we do derail, but you, we're going days without talking to people. Yes. And um, 
Sounds see, awesome. Like, I would take my like I'm not seeing the problem. Right. <laughs> Rin, you should freelance. So I would like take no. my dog out to to like a dog park, and I would like literally corner people to talk to them. I'm like, so what's up? They're like, there's what's this new? crazy ass designer at the dog <laughs> That's park. That's probably what people think about me. Um, but anyway, so I, I got panicked a little bit about antisocialness and a little bit about like I'm not learning enough. I'm not in a team. I want to. Like I want to be in conversations with with these people. Like if I'm in a room with smart people, maybe I can become smarter, um, kind of mentality. So I, um, when I was in this like panic mode, um, Sean Duffy, the CEO of Omada Health, kind of like he does this like yearly check-ins with me of like, hey, dude, you, you want to work with us? Um, and I worked with them before like, when they were like super little company, um, a team. And, um, and I'm like, huh, maybe like it, maybe it's the right time. So I, I talked to him, I met him and I'm like, okay, this sounds like the right, right moments. Um, and I, I joined Domata health team. So it's actually more coincidence that you ended up on two health related products kind of back. Kind of. Okay. I, I still, yeah, I think, I think it is, I would say more coincidence than, um, like on purpose. Like I want to work for a health tech company. Yeah. But at some level you also aligned with their mission. Right. Exactly. So, you know, half my family has, has diabetes. Um, I was pre-diabetic as well. Um, so it worked out if you guys don't know, Omada Health is a program, a 16 week program that, um, is preventing pre-diabetes. So turning people from pre-diabetes to normal lives through like a lifestyle change and, and a really intuitive program. Um, so I actually did the program myself, uh, for 16 weeks as I was designing it. I lost about like, 11% 11% body fat, body weight, sorry, not body fat. That would be amazing though, that, if I lost like- Well, both are that'd be amazing, my, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I got healthier, I got better in life. Um, then I left the company. <laughs> I'm like, I'm done with you guys. Um, I got what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I took the course for free. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I, I work with really awesome designers there. Really intelligent, a lot of like really- multidisciplinary designers myself. It was a really interesting, actually, like the product team, like the product design team were, were three product designers in the team. You've seen Daniel Waldron and me, and and then like they're brand designers, which is like a new concept to me, but they're super talented. These like people with print backgrounds, people with video backgrounds, filming backgrounds. Um, and then there's like marketing designers who had print and packaging, all kinds of experiences. So so we were just working really close together and we brought the team together and it just became like a really cool um, environment. And yeah, it's a, Omada Health was one of the most design driven companies. And I'm not just like- All the obvious corp companies kind of seem like they are. A lot of, I think a lot of companies say we're a design driven company just because I think it sounds really cool. Buzzword, man. Right, it is. But Omada Health actually, like from the start, their founders are IDO people, ex-IDO people and- and they actually really care about design. Um, and it worked out really great. What does design-driven mean for you? I think design-driven means applying um, problem-solving principles through design, if that makes sense. Um, so, Because you can be really like um, business-driven. You can be very... Um, I don't know, marketing driven, right? Like, and, and we went through those phases with, with Omada Health too. To, to grow the business, you can't just like make decisions through design. And also like, you can like design the solutions as well. So design is not really like, a, I'm not talking about just building interfaces. Like we were, I don't know, we were designing a, a 16 week program for changing people's behavior. And, and our audience was like 60 plus year old people. So you're thinking 60 years of, of a stuck habit that you're trying to change. So we're thinking about creative, we're applying creative thinking, creative solution, uh, problem solving to these things. And it just is a very interesting um, and a rewarding thing. Did you get what you were looking for? Hard question. I think I did. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of interesting because I worked there not long enough. Um, I worked there like 14 months or something. Okay. Um, and I know in Silicon Valley, that's like a long time. But it's like 10 years. I know, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I think I, I learned a lot. Um, I still talk to a lot of people there. I um, I made a lot of friends and yeah. I, I learned a lot. And it seems like it kept you on the track of wanting to work with teams in some way. Right, exactly. Right. And um, right. So after that- You haven't that, turned away from humanity again. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Um, yeah. And then after um, I joined a company called Operator, which is where I work right now. And we're full circle. 
Yeah. So we're running out of time, but cool. I'm, I'm really curious your perspective because I noticed you're wearing an Apple Watch. You worked at Fitbit. All right. Uh, the wearable world is taking off. Everyone's questioning what, what's happening. I just want your perspective on it. Where do you see wearables and this like health tracking stuff going? You can't really use a text-based interface from an Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess you can't. All right. Um, wearables are interesting. They're interesting because they're, they're, the interaction model is very interesting. You know, like they're, they're not like a phone. They need to complement your body. They need to complement your, your lifestyle. Wherein the phone devices are actually, we're, we're making them fit into our lives, right? Like we, we, we're going to bathroom with a phone. That's not a natural thing. That's not like you need, you used to read like magazines, right? Like, I mean, that's not really natural. That's either. not even natural. But like, we're, we're constantly like fitting these things into our lives. But I, I feel like Apple Watch really... Breaks. Right. <laughs> it's the most important part of the day. <laughs> let, let me put it this way. I don't think Apple Watch really fit in my life. I wear it. Um, it's out of battery right now. Oh, God. It only shows like time. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. Um, if Fitbit, for me, I care about tracking certain things about my life and health and fitness. Um, it makes sense. I have a, an Aria scale. I watch my weight closely, so it makes sense. Um, but I don't think the, the, the iPhone, I, I mean, the Apple watch really did fit in my life. Like I don't, I don't see the, the, the value of seeing my notifications on my, on my arm. Mm. I also have like really strong disbelief in notifications for like, I just fucking hate them. Um, and like, do you turn them all off? Yeah. Other than text messages and Slack Ooh, for which certain is text messages. Yeah. Well, all right. So. <laughs> uh, well, the thing I'd, I'd be curious your perspective on is all these health trackers promise or market this changed you, uh, you know, track your steps and you'll become healthier, track your weight over a period of time. You're going to lose weight, uh, with Apple, it's like the stand up counter and the rings and all this kind of stuff. So you have, you have this side and then you have the work you did at Omada where you're like this 16 week course to right. truly change people's behaviors and habits. Do you see any parallels there? Do you feel like the, the trackers are a gimmick in that regard? A part of it, I think tracking is a part of it. So they're for example, let's talk about weight. So there are a lot of studies that show if you weigh yourself daily, you're more likely to lose weight because you're more in track with what you're doing with your life, right? You can react faster. Um, I think tracking is important. I think analytics in general is important. You need data to prove what you're doing with your body. But I think lifestyle change is a total different thing. You know, if you want to change your life and if you want to get healthier, buying a Fitbit or an Apple watch is not going to do it. You need to have it inside you. And also like not only inside you, but you need a support system. You need people around you supporting you and you can use your Apple watch then to support that, to, to back that with, with data. But I don't think like buying any technological device is going to really make you a better, you know, more fit person. Bionics. (laughs) (laughs) Literally forcing you to run controlling your body (laughs) drop the mic and leave (laughs) flip a switch i'm in run mode (laughs) maybe someday that'd be amazing possible i'll take two please all right cool uh out of time anything you want to plug before you go i don't think i have any plugs i mean yeah go download operator sure at karam on twitter uh at karam on twitter karam.co what else i buy really horrible domain names um what's your worst one I think I bought my worst one. What's that? Dumbobjects.com. Nailed it. Because there are a lot of smart objects, and I want to make a Tumblr, <laughs> Tumblr thing. And just like, just a lot, a lot stupid smart objects? Yeah, like, that's actually great. I don't know. Like, I didn't or it could understand. just be like anything. It could be like... Spoon. Like a microphone. It's a fucking dumb Spoon. object. It doesn't know when I'm talking. It should just turn on when I'm talking. Rookie move, microphones. Yeah. God, this thing's stupid. This. Bryn, what's your dumbest domain you bought? My dumbest domain? designers.horse <laughs> <laughs> that's funny what were you thinking oh we're we're actually doing a project with it that's it's, amazing it's like um, well we've been saying we're gonna do a project with it for like hey, eight months I had a meeting with Elliot Dahl the other day and he's working on them wow thank you Elliot Dahl explain they're illustrations explain. of the different like you horses. know the whole like unicorn thing right <laughs> yeah. we expanded on that like all the mythological types of horses as designers like how they relate that's so, like, pretty there's awesome. centaur which is like a designer, but with abs. <laughs> Can I please be honest? 
I really like, want to be on it. Workhorse and like horsefly. What's yours, Brian? Mine? Guys, you know the whole trend of like earth porn, history porn, that kind of stuff? I bought web design porn. Oh, that's actually good. Yeah. I don't know if I still own it. But I, and then also actually it's the one it's gonna I'm, be like a like limited like no one is gonna see it in search results and stuff. I know, right? <laughs> you can't search that web yeah. porn. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back in the day, you know, PSD Tuts and all those the Tuts websites. I bought web design Tuts before they had web design Tuts. Dang. And I owned it. And then I let it expire no. and they got it. <laughs> oh man. So now they have web design tuts. It happened to my last domain, last like agency. Like when I was freelancing, I, sorry for going off long, but um, no, it was great. <laughs> when I was freelancing, I like started this like 34 West co and I really liked it. Like 34, 34 West mean. So 34 means 34 is like the, the license plate number for, you know, where I was born Istanbul and West There's a means, license plate number. Yeah. We have like, we identify it with like, those instead of like states yeah. all right license yeah. plates um yeah, so 34 was that and then west is like i'm in the west coast kind of dumb name whatever ah, my best sweet. friend found it yeah. um so i'm like oh i like that and then i let it expire so now i have to like change the fucking whole thing <laughs> 34west.io that's the way to get around that i got like 34 as a word dot agency oh, nice oh that's pretty cool maybe i don't know that could work i have a. Uh, Dungeon.tools. Oh, that's cool. Dungeon tools. It's for Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. I bet that would be really popular. We got a better name later. All right. Do you want to share it? Sneak preview? DNGN.io. There you go. Okay. For all your Dungeons and Dragons needs. Nice. No, that's not true at all. Are you a big player? There's or? nothing there. Yeah, we play every Sunday. Nice. Okay. Yeah, dude. Yeah, my cousin's the same. Uh, Sam Sofus and Marshall Bach and I are working on an app. Of course. It's pretty fun. Why not? man thanks for coming on the show thanks for having me it's my pleasure that was episode 96 Karam was fantastic that was so much fun we hope you enjoyed listening if you did hit us up on twitter we're at design details fm join our slack team at spec.fm slash slack we're about to hit 3,000 people in there designers developers people making companies and products talking about all the latest news and technology it's super fun to sign up go to spec.fm slash slack before we go huge thanks once again to epicurrence for making this episode possible epicurrence is normally a small like 60 person event they're finally coming out with a new version that is meant for larger teams bigger groups things like that it's like 200 people or something like that and it's gonna be in north star at tahoe and it's called the Montus. It's going to be March 6th through 9th at North Star. So it's Monday, Tuesday, leave Wednesday, thus Montus. And you'll be skiing, snowboarding, chatting about design and development and inspiration and collaboration and building relationships with some of the best people in the industry. And snowboarding. I said that. But, but snowboarding. And snowboarding. It's awesome. We can't recommend it enough. Go to Montus. That's M-O-N-T-U-E-S dot com. Apply uh, hit up Dan in our Slack team if you want to ask him any questions or email him at dan at epicurrence.com. But go apply and put design details in the subject thing and that'll let him know you came from us and you'll probably get in. And then you can invite your whole team and have an offsite in Tahoe. Or you can just invite your friends. That's cool too. So go apply. Huge thank you once again to Dan and Epicurrence, the Montus, for sponsoring this episode of Design Details. See you Wednesday. Body shampoos. <laughs> body like, shampoos? Yeah. Have you ever read what's on what, it? What's a Wait, body shampoo? Like a body wash? Body, is, is it shampoo always just hair? Or I don't know, like body wash, yeah. What if you Whatever you Americans say. <laughs> it's for your body hair specifically. <laughs> okay, body shampoo. Don't yes. get it on your skin. It's just for the hair. <laughs> just just read on it. Next time you're, you're taking a shower, just read what's on it. It's ridiculous. It's like, I don't, I don't even know. I don't even have that much like 
creativity in my mind. To but make up I'm that much I'm absolutely <laughs> sure like it's someone is getting high on acid and like writing all these things. It's like coconut flavored breeze. <laughs> the fuck does that mean? <laughs> Why not? You're not supposed to eat it. Body washed. <laughs> do, do you just like do you just push it a little bit so you get a little puff of air and then you like. Yeah. <laughs> Like it's it's pretty good, dude. You know, some designer out there sat down and wrote those words on that label. Yep. Designer—that's called a copywriter, sir. Someone designed that label at some point in time. <laughs> Someone had, had to, to lay out that text. Put up with that shit. That's, I will tonight. I will post on Twitter because I've I've been like <laughs> every night, like every day. I'm like, oh my, this is caram shower gel. Yes, too much information. But Start whatever. a Tumblr, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>